0: All right, so let me know when you're ready back there. Is everything good? All right, so let's open up a prayer and just agree with me tonight as we get into this word about just kind of a deep consecration and a God sermon emphasis. And I'm mainly going to stay within Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And just kind of work out of that those two scriptures are very common to us but i'm going to really build on it tonight but lord i thank you as we come in jesus name and through his blood we thank you for such an open heaven and a glory here lord we thank you for anointing this night i thank you for hearing and entering the prayers over this night it's obvious there's been a lot of prayer into it and as we get into the word i just thank you even now for the holy spirit moving upon every one of us to give us good soul of hearts and minds and lives and and help anoint our eyes and ears, have eyes and ears of the Spirit that we can see and hear by the Holy Spirit, maybe what we couldn't before. And the Holy Spirit, move it upon our hearts and minds to be good soil and to be in tune with you, kind of locked in and focused. They're not going to be distracted, not wandering minds, but focused in. And Lord, I thank you as you speak through me, living seeds of truth, sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains so Jesus comes. And I thank you for everything said tonight. That needs to be said Lord let this go forth the winds of your spirit carry it out among the nations it will get where it's supposed to get accomplish what what's supposed to and everything will be accomplished in it through it that your will to be done we thank you for it and any enemy that would try to resist it we command that to be bound and back off right now in Jesus name we break your power and I thank you Lord for just clearing that away and we stand on the promise as a church your word will not return void but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do So, Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So tonight, give me your best, dear. Let me take a little bit of time with this. I don't want to rush this. I want this to be thorough, and I feel it's very important because there's going to be some things I talk about in here that there are people out there, I promise you have never heard this before in their life and maybe even kind of undoing some teaching that was very incorrect. So the first thing I want to open with is Ephesians 5, verse 8. Now keep in mind that the Apostle Paul was a rabbi, and he was very, very much understood what we call the Old Testament, which is really in the Hebrew culture called the Tanakh. It's the Torah Torah the Nevi'im, which is the prophets, and the Ketuvim, which is the um, the narrative books. And it's put together. And Paul would have studied this in depth. So he and his peers would have had an understanding of what pleases the Lord versus what doesn't. But now he's going, and it's very important that you don't miss what I just said there. He already had a foundation in the Hebrew culture of what pleased the Lord and what doesn't, okay? Now he's going out to Gentile countries into foreign lands and bringing the gospel to people who do not have a clue what pleases God. Keep that in mind. So Ephesians 5, starting with verse eight, he says to those in Ephesus, he says, you were once in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of the light. There should be a difference in us. Amen? And he says, for the fruit of the light or the spirit consists in every form of kindness, goodness, a brightness of heart, and trueness of life. And look at verse 10. It's very interesting. And try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. everybody catch that? Notice that it's something that you're not born with, this knowledge. You have to learn what pleases God versus what displeases him. And he says, and then it goes on, this is the amplified version, let your lives be constant proofs of that is most acceptable to him. But then he goes on to say this in verse 11, take no part in or have no fellowship with the fruitless deeds of darkness. But then it goes on to say, but instead, let your lives be so in contrast as to expose, reprove, and convict them. So another translation says to have nothing to do with the darkness out there, but expose it. So there are people out there that, for whatever reason, don't like to talk about certain things that have to do with darkness in Christianity. They don't don't like sermons that deal with the deliverance ministry or spiritual warfare or whatever. If you're trying to expose things, expose the dangers of the occult. They don't like that. They don't like to talk about it for whatever reason. Well, okay. But here's the problem with that. The Bible tells us to. So there's the problem right there. The Bible tells us to not participate in these deeds of darkness, but we are called to expose it. All right. But the main thing I want to emphasize here in verse 10 is to learn, to try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, Romans 12, verse 1, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is going to be my foundational scripture tonight, and again, it's very common knowledge of this scripture. I'm sure that you've read it many times, quoted it many times, but I want to break it down. So Romans 12, verse 1, the first part of the verse, he says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And that's what I've been encouraging during this time of what we're doing, of prayer and fasting and consecrating our lives unto God. We're offering up our bodies as a living sacrifice. And I'm going somewhere with this tonight that you're probably not expecting. So just, just wait, I'm getting there. But I want you to notice that we present our bodies to God. Okay, just like in the, you know, the Old Covenant, the, the people brought their offerings to the temple. We're offering up our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, okay? And then First Peter 2, 5. Peter says this, very interesting. He says, you also as living stones. So I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you're a stone. <laughs> you're a living stone. As living stones being built into a spiritual house as a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, you have to have knowledge of the scriptures to even understand what he's saying here. So we're living stones. We together are coming together, building a spiritual house as a holy priesthood, And we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices, spiritual offerings that are acceptable to God. Most of Christendom in the Gentile Western culture read things like this and really don't understand what they're reading. And I'll show you what I mean as we go. And then 1 Peter 2, 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. So Peter saw that, you know, in. The Old Testament that the kings had a bloodline, like for example David, and then the priest had one. But Peter here is saying, "Look, in Christ, you have royalty in your blood, and you have the priesthood. You're a royal priesthood. The ki- the kingly and the priestly come together." He said, "You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation." A people for God's own possession, so that you might declare the goodness of him who's called you out of darkness into his spiritual light. How many are so thankful that we used to grope around in darkness, but now we are in the light in Christ. Alright. So let me break this down, and this is where I wanted to spend some time. So when Jesus came, I don't have time to pull up every one of these scriptures, but you could easily find this. Jesus said, I have not come to do away with the law and the prophets. He didn't come to do away with it, but rather he came to fulfill it. That is a huge difference. I mean, I can't tell you the incredible significant difference that that is. And see, a lot of Christian think that everything that was before Jesus is just kind of thrown away. And now we have some new religion or something. That is absolutely not true. Jesus came and he fulfilled everything in the law and the prophets perfectly. And I'm going to show you some examples. This is not by any means exhaustive. This is just a few examples tonight. But I want you to see some things. Number one, we are priests unto God. Now, if you say that, you go throughout all of America, you go to all these different churches, and you just simply tell people you're a priest unto God a lot of people will close their eyes and imagine a priesthood that is not the priesthood of the Bible. They may think of a Catholic priest or some Eastern Orthodox. If you go overseas and, and you talk to different countries and you say you're a priest, they may think of some type of a shamanistic type of priest or something. So you have to go back to what does the Bible say a priest is. Does this make sense? So Jesus didn't come to do away with the priesthood. He came to fulfill the priesthood. The Bible says about Jesus, he didn't throw away what God had instituted. No, no. It says now he is our great high priest who ever lives to make intercession. And he said about us, you are a priesthood unto me. So what does that mean? Well, again, look at the garments of the priest, which y'all are familiar with. But there's three layers, and to keep it incredibly simplistic, there's a white layer, and these layers are what the Bible talks about, I believe, in Isaiah when it says garments of salvation. So when you accept the Lord, there is a robe of righteousness. And see, the priesthood had linen. They didn't use, like, wool because wool was uncomfortable. It made you sweat. It spoke of, like, the flesh and the works of the flesh. No, no, no. They wore linen because it was light, it was cool, it didn't make you sweat, and and it represented this robe of righteousness that we are clothed in. Also, that robe had a sash like a belt underneath, undergarments underneath were called the breeches, and they were like pure white pajama bottoms that went down to the knees, and they had a drawstring, And that was to cover their shameful nakedness. So when they went up to minister before the Lord and they went up on the altar, their nakedness wouldn't be exposed. And then they had a white turban on their head, which had to do with the mind, the head area, kind of like the helmet of salvation, if you will. It's like the... But anyway, so they had these pure white garments. And then on top of the white, very interesting, blue speaks of coming down from heaven. There was called a blue tunic. Who I always keep a picture up in the back back there so people can see the priesthood because I talk about this on a regular basis. But if you don't have that before, you can easily Google um, Aaron's priestly garments, okay? But there was a blue tunic that went on top of the white and it came down from above. It came up over the head and came down over the person and it had a reinforced neck and that's important because this blue tunic speaks of the baptism in the Holy Ghost, a clothing of power. And the bells and the pomegranates around the ankle area, the bells speak of the gifts of the Spirit, like tongues, etc., and the fruit, the pomegranates, speak of the fruit of the Spirit. And so there's a clothing of power from on high. And how many knows that God wants us to not only be saved, but He wants us to be baptized in the Holy Ghost and clothed with power. And so there's this blue tunic, and the reinforced neck is when people get upset in the old culture, grab their garments, and, and they would rip their garments, and they were maybe distressed. Or, and you can't do that with this because we're not supposed to grieve the Holy Spirit. Even if we're upset, we need to be careful to not quench or grieve the Holy Spirit. Amen? So there's a blue tunic. And then on top of that, very interesting, attached to the blue was a golden vest. And this golden vest was called the golden ephod. And it went on top of the blue, and it actually had shoulder pieces on, on the shoulders here that from them came these chains that went down, and it would hold this breastplate right over the heart that had the 12 stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And we are called to be priests unto God. But one of our, the shoulder pieces, one of our responsibility that we carry upon our shoulders is that the people of God are close to our hearts and we keep them in prayer. But the golden ephod represents the Glory. And so God has not only called us to be saved and, and thus we're washed in the blood of the Lamb and sanctified, but he wants us that we are clothed with power and we walk in his glory, his presence, and we're to be carriers of his presence and power. So Jesus didn't come to do away with something and throw it in the garbage and start something all over again. No, he fulfilled it in that we are a priesthood that he has clothed us in his garments of salvation. He's clothed us in his power and glory. And we are called as a priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices unto God and the priest. We're responsible to know what the Bible says and to know what pleases God and thus to even teach others what pleases God. To distinguish between the holy and the profane. It is our responsibility that we learn that. And something even more interesting to me than the priest is that now we are the living, breathing temple of the Holy Ghost. If I could say it this way, because the tabernacle and the temple are synonymous, we are a living, breathing, walking around tabernacle of the Holy Ghost. See, the tabernacle was, was built with a framework of wood, and then it was overlaid with skin. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that God has made us a skeletal system wrapped in skin, but he's put his presence in us and upon us. And just like the the tabernacle of Moses and the Shekinah was above it, there was a pillar of fire. On the day of Pentecost, there was a tongue of fire on the head of every living, breathing tabernacle. And so God, again, he didn't do away with the tabernacle. He's fulfilled it in Christ that now we are his tabernacle. And the the word in Hebrew for the tabernacle is Mishkan, and it comes from a a root word, Shekhan, and that Shekhan means the the abiding, dwelling presence of God. It's where we get the word Shekinah. In Hebrew, Shekinah, but the Shekinah is, is the abiding presence. That's one of the definitions and aspects of it, is that it is a continual abiding presence. But also, the Shekinah was seen like cloud or fire. The other Hebrew word is kavod, and it's K-A-V-O-D, and that means like weightiness. How many have sensed the Lord's weighty presence at times? You've sensed the glory. So we are a living, breathing tabernacle of the Holy Ghost. And as the tabernacle, we're supposed to be abiding in God's presence But it is sad that in many places, and I've grown up in church my whole life, in most places, I would say, there's not an abiding presence, but rather every once in a while, there's a really good service where the Holy Spirit will move. And then you come back next week and it's not there. But how many knows that God is wanting some kind of an abiding presence? But see, there's a reason why that's not there. And I'm going to get to that. By the end of this sermon, I think you're going to understand. God is wanting to dwell among us, the Mishkan. He's wanting a place where his presence continually dwells. And But for us to be in that place, we're going to have to learn what pleases the Lord. And we're going to have to be a living sacrifice holy unto him, which I'm going to explain more as I go. So let me go ahead and explain holy. River of Life knows this, but there are people that don't know this, so let me share it. But to be holy doesn't really mean technically to be clean, although people think that. A lot of people probably think that. To be holy actually means to be set apart. And so, for example, this building here, is set apart as a church but there's other buildings around us that are just secular businesses workplaces etc they're just secular but once you take a place land a building and you set that apart from the ordinary and now it becomes set apart unto god it's dedicated to him now given to him and then because it's his, it's holy now, it's set apart unto him, now you want to make sure and spiritually cleanse that thing. That the blood of Jesus cleansed it, that it's anointed, it's prayed over, it's blessed. And now because you do all of that, it can be a place where God's glory will dwell. But once that ever happens, the Lord is going to be jealous over that because it's his and you gave it to him. So if it ever becomes profane again, It may be set up for destruction. I can give you one example, although there are probably many. I think about now that we've gone through historic revivals, I talk about Topeka, Kansas. You know what I'm talking about. And Charles Parham had a Bible school there in Stone's Folly. In the upper room, 30 of them studied what is it to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they began to really earnestly seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit fell upon that group. They, those that were there, Agnes Osman and others, said that they, they were like tongues of fire. There really was like a rushing mighty wind. It became holy ground, and it was set apart unto God as a Bible school. From there, they went out preaching the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and many were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was the kind of the birthplace of Pentecost. Well, after them, guess who took it over? A guy who was a bootlegger who was, who was using it as his distillery and for evil purposes. And you know what happened? God burned it down. There's a scripture in the Bible in Corinthians. You can look this up where Paul says, if you defile God's temple, he will destroy that temple. And that, And he said, and you are that temple. That's a warning for every one of us that we need to be careful how we live. Now, let me talk about the five major offerings. Again, extremely simplistic, like a cursory view, very fast. But they were five major offerings. So when Peter says that we're building a house here for God's glory to dwell and that we offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to him, we have to go back To what does the Bible say are offerings that are acceptable? And then we have to understand it from a New Testament perspective. Jesus didn't throw it in the garbage. No, no. He fulfilled it. So what does this mean? Well, the first two are the sin and the guilt offering. I've studied these. They're very similar. But the sin seems to be directly disobeying. It's something directly like vertical. The guilt seems to be somewhat horizontal, something you do to defile yourself or to harm another person or wrong someone or you make a vow you didn't keep. It's something horizontal. But either way, it is a hindrance between you and God. So the sin and the guilt offering is fulfilled in Jesus because the Bible says that he bore in his body our sin. It says he was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. So how do we we offer this offering to God then? A spiritual offering here, this is how we do it. We say, Lord, show us anything in us unclean. And as God reveals things to us, he is faithful and just to forgive us if we will confess it before him. So we walk in the light as he's in the light. And as we're walking in fellowship with him and we're in the light, the Holy Spirit will show us things. That doesn't please me. That needs to change. And all of us are far from perfect. And so as we go, we're in the light, the Holy Spirit shows us, and now we say, Lord, forgive me, I repent of this. And that right there is the sin and the guilt offering being washed out of our, you know, the sin being purged. So there's three more offerings. The first one in Hebrew is the olah, And it is the burnt offering. Everybody say burnt offering. This offering is what Paul was talking about. Understand, Paul was a rabbi. He grew up his whole life in a very religious family. He would have went to church, synagogue every week. He studied the scriptures. He probably had a lot of it memorized. You understand? And so when he's talking about offering up your body as a living sacrifice, he's thinking a burnt offering. So this is what people would do. They would bring an animal and they they would come in. This is a burnt offering. They bring it before the sons of Aaron, the priest, and they would you know have to lay hands and the animal was killed. But here's the thing. On the burnt offering, the skin was removed and it was given to the priesthood. And they actually... Uh, there was a lot of wealth attached to that, which was a good thing. But the skin was given to the priest. You know what that speaks of? God's trying to put an emphasis on the flesh here. The death of the flesh. You know, Steve Hill used to preach a sermon, the death of Mr. Me. There's gotta be, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Your flesh has gotta be brought under and be crucified. So the, the skin was removed. Then the animal would have been cut into five pieces and was placed on the, burnt, uh, on the bronze altar. But here's the thing. This particular offering, the burnt offering, was not eaten by the priesthood, nor was it eaten by those who brought it. It was completely burned. So how do we, how do we offer up a spiritual sacrifice here that's, that's pleasing, to, that's acceptable unto God? Well, first off, We come in and say, Lord, the sin and guilt offering, wash me in the blood of Jesus. That's number one. Here's number two. We want to offer ourselves like this. We say, Lord, I'm coming to you as a burnt offering. I lay my life on the altar before you. Let your holy fire consume me and burn everything out of me that's not pleasing to you. I want to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you. I offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. So that's the burnt offering. And so after we offer our lives, so you got to understand this is progressive. We are being cleansed here in the blood of Jesus. We lay down our lives on the altar. There are two more offerings. The next offering is called the Shelemim in Hebrew and it's a peace offering or a fellowship offering. And here's what people would do. People would bring their offerings to the tabernacle, animals, they would bring grain to be cooked, they would bring oil, they bring the fruit of the vine, they would bring everything that was supposed to be brought to the sons of Aaron there in the outer court area. And as they came with their family before the Lord in his presence, in the word for offering, or you could say sacrifice is korban. And it means it comes from a root word to draw near. God has given a prescribed way that we can draw near to him and be in his presence, but we have to learn the ways of God. But because before we were saved, we do not know what pleases God. We don't know how to even approach him properly. But once we study the word and we understand these things, so they would come with the peace offering. And the priest would take the animals and they they would cut, they would kill them, and they would cook the animals and they would cook the grain. And they would pour out some of the the fruit of the vine as a libation. But the people, listen to what I'm saying. The people would eat and drink with the priesthood in the presence of God. This was a fellowship offering. You know what this offering speaks of in our lives? That after we've laid our lives on the altar as a living sacrifice, now we develop a strong personal prayer life with the Lord. That is what this is referring to. The fellowship. That's what he wants with us. When he created Adam and Eve, what was Adam's job? Tend the garden and what? Fellowship with God. That's what God's always wanted. And so he's wanting us to fellowship with him that we develop a prayer life. But see, outside of the scriptures, people don't know what pleases God. You have to learn That when you come in prayer, the reason why some people's prayer lives is so dead is because they don't really know how to properly scripturally approach the Lord. The way that we come is we come through the blood of the lamb and we enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. And once we come through the blood and we come through worship and we enter in like that, the presence of God comes and now there can be powerful prayers. All right. And then the fifth offering, you have the sin, the guilt, the Allah, the burnt, and then you have the Shelemin, the peace. And now we have the last one called the Micha in Hebrew, and it's the grain offering. So people would bring their grain before the Lord, and they would come to the, to the Mishkan, to the tabernacle with the grain offerings. And the priest would take it, and they would cook it, Some of it was completely burned unto the Lord and that which was burned unto the Lord, they always salted things, the salt of the covenant. But as they gave the portion to the Lord, they put frankincense on top of it. And so when it was being burnt, it was like this beautiful aroma going up before God. But some of it was cooked and was eaten by the priesthood. You know what the grain speaks of? It speaks of us, our service. See, when we go out of here, There is a harvest out there, isn't there, for all of us. There are people that need to be saved. There's things that God has called us to do for him, whether it's serving him through the the worship team or the working with young people or whatever we do, but we are called to serve and work. And that you think about the grain, you can't help but think about the wheat fields. And so this speaks of, here's the offerings that are acceptable. We are a holy priesthood, To offer up spiritual sacrifices, spiritual offerings, pleasing to God. What is that? That we're washed in the blood. We lay our lives down on the altar. Lord, a living sacrifice consume me. Now, Lord, I want to have a personal prayer life. I want to know you. And also I want to do what you've called me to do. These are pleasing offerings to God. And this is the fulfilled New Testament perspective of these things. So we have times in River of Life where we seek the Lord in a special way. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been having times of prayer and fasting and deep repentance. And people that really take this serious and they really pray and they they do some fasting and they're asking God, show me things that, that don't please you. Show me things I need to deal with. Bring things up to me. God will do that. And this is how, listen, Derek Prince used to teach something I really like, there was a triangle, and he had the lower bottom part of it, had to do with like humbling yourself, and then there was in the middle, there was prayer, but there was an upper area that could only be accessed when you added a dimension of fasting in there. See, we we approach God, we're humbling ourselves, but as we begin to pray, that's only going to get to a certain place but there are things that require some fasting to get all the way through. And I'll give you one scriptural example. Jesus said, look, some of these are only gonna come out but by prayer and fasting. There are some stubborn things that are not gonna move until fasting is implemented, you understand? So there's times that we spend seasons of prayer, humbling ourselves in prayer and fasting, And we're asking God to show us things. And here's what God will do. There's a sanctifying work, Peter said, a sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will bring things up to us that we didn't know was there. And you know what the Holy Spirit will always do? He's come to teach us right from wrong. Jesus said to convict us of sin. But then what does he do? He comes to glorify Christ. He will take us to the cross. That's the remedy. So the Holy Spirit will bring things up to us, not to condemn us, no, but to lead us to the cross so that we can be free. And as we bring it to the foot of the cross and the blood of Jesus washes, that's the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in us. And then also God will teach us his word. Just like tonight, I'm gonna talk about some things as we go. And as we learn the word, as we study the word, as we sit under good Good teaching of the word then there is a washing of the water of the word of god and so we are being sanctified by the holy spirit in the word and then as we come together as a church and we kind of close this time out of prayer and fasting with what we call a deep consecration time we we have these three things and in exodus chapter 29 the priesthood Aaron and his sons were brought before the Lord at the tabernacle and Moses had to take and he had to water immerse them and then he took the blood, the offering, and he had to put the blood on them. He put the blood on their, their right earlobe, which speaks of your thought life, the right thumb, which speaks of the works of your hands, the right big toe, which speaks of your walk, sprinkled them with blood. And so the blood cleansed them spiritually. Then he had to anoint them with oil. And once that was complete, they were set apart to serve the Lord at the tabernacle and go in where his presence was. But see, we're supposed to be living sacrifices. We're supposed to learn what pleases the Lord as a priesthood. To know the difference between the holy and profane. Before God, what does God say? Because people are always making their own rules. I'll give some examples tonight. I mean, trying to use wisdom about this, but there's different things that you see creeping into the body of Christ that just isn't pleasing to the Lord. I'm not saying all of it's going to send people to hell per se, but there is an element of defilement in it. You understand? Now think about... When we accept Christ and now we're a new creation in him, we're born of God. And the Holy Spirit is indwelling us. How many knows that you're, you are very different now in Christ than you were when you first got saved? So everybody, please look this way and hear me. So now our lives are different. There were places that we used to hang out that now we don't feel comfortable hanging out there anymore. Why? Why? Because they were places of sin. And we don't feel comfortable there anymore because we're no longer those people. There was company that we used to keep. There were conversations we used to have. There were jokes we used to tell. We don't tell anymore. There was language we used to use. I talk a lot different now than what I used to. There's things that we used to do with our bodies that we no longer do with our bodies, ungodly substances, etc. Which leads me to some of these things. See, you know, John Davis told me this. He, you know, there was things in my generation. He said that Christians just knew to avoid them and they just avoided them. And he said it seems now like just kind of like anything goes. But I mean, listen, there's things that we no longer going to put in our bodies. Our bodies in Christ are not made for all of this drunkenness and, and drugs to be put in them and all this junk, these ungodly substances. How many says a big amen about that? You know, there was, there was sexual immorality. They were sleeping around, maybe pornography or whatever. There were things in our past that were there, sexual immorality. But now that we're in Christ, our bodies are holy ground, living sacrifices, and our bodies no longer participate in sexual immorality. You know, the Bible says marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed undefiled. So see, marriage in the marriage bed is another example of holy to God. It's set apart unto God, and because the marriage in the marriage bed is holy, God says then you don't defile that because it's holy. Don't defile that marriage bed. Everybody hear what I'm saying? And I think about some of the goofy things. Like if people really knew the word and took God's word seriously, God is not pleased with, I'm not saying it's gonna send people to hell necessarily, but I'm saying he's not pleased with all of the things like marking, cutting up, piercing, and marking up, tattooing up a body that the Bible is clear that God isn't smiling on that. That's not something that's pleasing to him. Amen? How many know this to be true? How many know enough of the Bible to know what I'm saying? I'm telling you the truth. I'm not saying it's going to send people to hell. I'm just saying that it's not pleasing to the Lord. He's not smiling over it. It's not something that is, is holy unto him. And people look at the church, and a lot of times I think, People don't see enough of a difference in some people and places. And, and they think to themselves, because I've done a lot of street witnessing through the years a lot. I've talked to a lot of people. And I think one of the things I've heard the most is, you know, well, you know, if, if those people are going to heaven, I'm going to heaven. Because they know people that profess Christianity and don't live a life that they should be living. But this, is, I believe personally, from the scriptures, there's an element of defilement in these things, and I've got some more examples. And I think about one time I'll never forget this because I was preaching along these lines at a particular home for young people. Rebellion, a lot of rebellion was there. How many knows that when you look at a spirit of rebellion and you start dealing with people that are very rebellious, you seem to see a lot of these things I'm describing, a lot of addictions. And a lot of marking up your body it's a spirit but anyway so i was talking to him about this and i said it's not pleasing to the lord if you want to be cleansed from that and free from that because i believe personally it brings a sense of defilement in people's lives spiritually i just do i said if you want to be free from that tonight i'm happy to pray for you guys and i said here's some anointing oil you can ask God's forgiveness and kind of anoint the areas that you've done this. So all these young people are praying about it disappearing and, and some of them going to the restroom, coming back, that type of thing, you know, and um, they're, they're getting rid of all the piercings, they're anointing themselves, wherever there was piercings or tattoos or whatever, you know, but I'll never forget this because this was, this was very powerful. I got up there, and I just said, okay, I'm going to pray for you guys. We asked the Lord to cleanse them, and I took authority. I said, I break off you. I took authority. In Jesus' name, I break off you, everything the enemies had. And I mean to tell you, it was like an explosion. All of them at one time went, oh, like that. Something broke off them, and you could feel like something evil come up off them and go out the back door. Everybody in the room felt it. It was undeniable that there was something there. They were corporately delivered from something. They were polluted and defiled by something, and there was attachments to that in their life. And I also think about other things. I mean, I think about some of the stuff my wife and I talk about this, you know, some of the things like whether it be yoga um, or, or some of the occult stuff that people are bringing into the church. Listen, common sense should tell us that god isn't pleased with these things i mean yoga goes back to eastern mysticism it goes back to hinduism and buddhism and people are so goofy they think well you know we we meditate on scriptures when we practice yoga and we pray to jesus when we're doing the yoga it's like well why can't you meditate on scriptures and, and pray and do all these things without doing the yoga how about that But see, they want to mix the holy and the profane, and they think God's okay with it. I'm not saying it's going to necessarily send them to an eternity in hell, but God is not pleased with them. And I do believe that there can be a sense of defilement in it. I think it's defiling to them, and I think it's defiling to any church that's letting that garbage in their church. And it won't be here, and I know you know that. But I think about some of the witchcraft occult stuff. There's there's people who think, well, we want to be relevant to the kids, so they start bringing in stuff like there was a time, I know Harry Potter's old now, but there was a time, and they brought this goofy stuff even into churches, and they were using it to supposedly teach biblical lessons. Again, you're mixing the holy and the profane. God tried to make a distinction to Israel, and he told them, he said, he, God always hated mixture. And he, and he tried to instill this in their minds the way they thought. He said, don't make garments with linen and wool together. Don't mix it. That's interesting. And he said, don't put two different types of seed in the ground together. Don't mix things. And he taught the priesthood, it's your responsibility to read my word and know what's holy versus what's profane. And when I say profane, I don't even necessarily mean like pure evil or satanic, just common. It's not holy. You understand there's a difference between what's holy and just what's not. There's some things that are just secular. He said it's your responsibility to know the difference. And it's your responsibility to teach people the difference. But we have to learn what's holy and acceptable to God. Which leads me to Romans 12, verse 1. And he goes goes on to say in the latter part of that, after us being a living sacrifice, what the living sacrifice is to be holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. You know, I think about one more thing before before I go on. I don't have too much more to cover, but I, I do want to get into some, a few other things. but I think about reverencing God's house as sanctuary. You know when we come together, the Bible says that we, we are each like living stones, and we come together building God a dwelling place. God's heart is is that we as we come together, He wants to dwell among us. It reminds me of when Jesus said of two or three are gathered in my name and it means in the greek drawn together in his name he said i'll, I'll be in the midst of him he wants to be in our midst but here's the thing we can't come in here as dirty polluted defiled stones and expect the lord to tabernacle here hello when we come together i wonder what it would be like in many places around the world in greater christianity If people throughout the week really took God seriously and took his word serious and they really had a prayer life and they were living sacrifices really clean unto God. And before they came to God's house, they said, Lord, I want you to search me as I go to go to God's house today. I want to be pure. And everybody came with that attitude. And when we came together, people kind of reverence the fact that we are on holy ground. This is a holy place set apart in a God where his presence dwells. And they had a sense of awe and reverence toward God and his presence. And they welcomed the Lord to be, and I believe that if people had that holy fear of the Lord, that reverence. So you know what the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the holy is understanding. Knowledge of the holy. We have to learn that because of a healthy fear of God, that we reverence him we're in awe of him but also we begin to have knowledge of the holy what does it mean to be holy and we learn what pleases him so i remember i've told this many times but for those that haven't heard it we had went a group of uh, that i was at a particular church we had took a group to the revival back in the 90s at brownsville and And one of the men that was there, that was one of the leaders in the church, I saw him just take some anointing oil out of his pocket. And he was over there just kind of praying in his seat. And he anointed himself on his forehead with oil and put some on his hands. He was kind of anointing himself. And he saw me notice it. And so he said, hey, do you want to anoint yourself? I said, sure, you know, so I'm anointing. And And I was just kind of wanting to learn about what was going on with this. And so he told me, he said, you know, he said, we're on holy ground here. He had an awe and a reverence of being on holy ground in the presence of God, and he knew that he wanted to be spiritually consecrated unto God, and he reverenced the presence of God. Isn't that an awesome attitude of humility and reverence? And God touched him mightily, and to this day, that probably happened in my life, like 1997. To this day, I still talk about that because that so impressed me that somebody would have such a humble, reverent attitude toward God's house like that. That's an example for every one of us. And so I think that if, if everybody had more of an awe, because as we come together, I, I see that for in some places, that what I was talking about holy versus uh, secular, you can see now a lot of secularism that has come into the house of God. And I'm not being critical, but you know it's true because you've seen it too. That some places worship seems more like a concert. It's more secular. It's more of a show. Do you understand? God would rather it be less professional and even sound not as good, but everybody is is really worshiping with all their heart and just going after God than he would for it to be some kind of a, a show. You know, and that's another area of, of Christ fulfilling the tabernacle. I think about the bronze altar in the outer court where the animals were burned. They had to take a hot coal there, so a flaming hot piece of wood, red hot, and they would take that into the holy place every morning, every evening, and put it on this waist high golden altar that had a bowl on it. They'd put it in the bowl, and they took with them incense. And they would use their fingers and they would sprinkle incense on top of that burning coal. And the incense would just start going up. And they would keep until they got all that incense on there. And that incense would just go in straight up like this. And they began to lift their hands and worship and pray. And people knew about the time. How many have read this in the New Testament? About the time of the evening sacrifice or about the time of the morning sacrifice. Remember reading that? People knew that this was going on every day, every morning at nine, every evening at three. They knew this was happening. And so people would face the tabernacle or the temple and they would begin to pray with the priesthood because they believed before God back in this dispensation, okay, before Jesus. They believed that their prayers collectively were going up before God as an incense. Isn't it interesting that in the book of Revelation, everybody say New Testament. In the book of Revelation, That John saw golden bowls of incense being brought before the throne of God, and it said in Revelation, and these are the prayers of the saints. Isn't that interesting? See, Jesus hasn't come to do away with things, he's come to fulfill it. So, what does that mean for you and I today? How does that fulfill? God, as we lay down our lives on that bronze altar, bronze speaks of judgment. Lord, sanctify, purify me. I'm a living sacrifice. Burn out of me what needs to go. You know what happens? Like that hot coal, God wants our heart to be burning for him like a hot burning coal. And out of a burning heart, true worship and spirit and in truth. There are four parts of the incense, praise, worship, prayer, intercession, that out of a burning heart, true praise, true worship, powerful prayer, powerful intercession goes up before the Lord. That's how it's fulfilled. God is wanting that in our lives today, but it comes out of being a living sacrifice. All right, the last couple things I want to talk about as I close this out, Hebrews chapter six, verse one. Therefore, I talked about this last, last week. Therefore, leaving the elementary principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, So, I mean, this is so foundational, but yet I wonder about some out there. You know, us repenting of dead works, repentance. We turn away from things we used to do and faith toward God. And then it says instruction about washings, plural. Then the laying on of hands, then the resurrection of the dead, and finally eternal judgment. This we will do if God permits. But I want to notice tonight, because we're having a deep consecration service, I looked up the word here for washings, plural, and you can see the Greek script right here. For those that know Greek, enjoy. All right, there it is. I don't really know Greek that well or anything. But anyway, it's the Greek word, though, baptismo, which obviously is where we get the word baptism. But I want you to notice here, this is important, not trying to be funny about it, But it is an immersion. It's not a sprinkling. And it's not dry clean, right? It is an immersion. So a full-on immersion. Now, here's the interesting thing about that word. You ready? Because I looked it up, and this is in the Greek, and it says this. It is a noun. It is masculine. And guess what? It is plural. And so some translate that word washings, others baptisms with an S. So it is multiple, more than one. And this is just one of the examples of what I'm trying to get to today as I, as I start closing this out. But the baptism see, again, in the Hebrew culture, one of the greatest problems with greater Christendom today in Western Gentile Christendom is that our, our root system goes back to the Protestant Reformation, which goes back to Roman Catholicism. And unfortunately, that still has so much influence. If people would understand that and go back, think about the early church for 300 years, the church that Jesus planted, that the disciples planted churches there, and and they taught in such a way, they understood the Hebrew culture, and it was so pervasive in the early church. That was the foundation, that was the root system, was the Hebrew roots. and they would have seen Jesus as fulfilling all of it, not doing away with it. A lot of Western, Western Gentile Christianity thinks of it this way. all of that was thrown in the garbage, and now we have a new religion. That's the way they think. Nothing could be further from the truth. The early church didn't see it that way. They saw Jesus as fulfilling the law and the prophets. And they understood everything from a fulfilled perspective and so that's why for example there's too many examples to get into but that's why paul told the corinthians in first corinthians chapter five he said you keep the feast and he was talking about passover but he said you better purge the the yeast out you better purge the leaven out of your midst and in the church he said there was somebody in sexual immorality you better purge them out but he was teaching the Gentile church to keep Passover. Anybody ever think about that? And there's no way he wasn't saying that. Yes, he was. And I could go on a big long tangent and give you so many scriptures and so many things to back this up, but it flies in the face of so much of what we know today. But anyway, the point I'm making here is that Western Gentile Christianity that goes back unfortunately to a Roman Catholic influence views water immersion a certain way that is not biblical god is never in the word at all made it into some one-time thing that you do as a kid while everybody takes pictures and you get a certificate or whatever. you go home that's not really truly the way it was intended it's something that's there that's a spiritual activity that's supposed to be supernaturally powerful that is there to cl- help bring spiritual cleansing and separation, and it's whenever you need it in your life. Now, people can take things out of context, and they do, and twist it to say whatever they want it to say, but the Bible never teaches it any other way than what I'm saying. As a matter of fact, it says right here, instructions about washings, plural. Plural. So just like, Baptist, or just like a communion table or anointing with oil, this is something that's simply available. We are a priesthood unto God. And so now we have, the Bible says in Hebrews, we have an altar we can eat at that the sons of Aaron don't even have a right to anymore. You know what that is? The communion table. And what does the Bible say? As often as you desire. But then religion comes in says well you have to do it this way at this time and it has to be only at church it has to be administered by a clergy it has to be this that and the other and they take the power out of it and they ruin what god intended no no it is something between you and the lord we can take it together but you can take it at home because you are a priest unto god same thing with anointing with oil you can anoint yourself anoint your home Same thing with immersion. We'll come together, and I'm happy to sit here and pray with you, and anybody that wants to be immersed will do that. But it's something even in your own personal life between you and God. So the early church understood that water immersion was there. It was called a mikveh. It was there whenever somebody was spiritually polluted, and they just simply needed to be cleansed spiritually. So Hebrews 10, 19, this is for you guys, River of Life. I hope I'm not losing anybody. I feel like maybe there's something. I'm coming up against a religious spirit somewhere here in Dallas. that doesn't like this. But Hebrews 10, 19 says this, Therefore, brothers, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Everybody say the holy of holies. By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has opened for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled, cleansed from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So the blood being sprinkled, the priesthood would offer up the sin offering, and they would catch some of the blood in the bowl, and they would use their forefinger, their right hand, and dip it in the blood, and they would sprinkle the blood to bring cleansing. As a matter of fact, they would sprinkle it toward the tabernacle so that the sinner, there was access again by the blood to be able to approach. See, this was understood in having our bodies washed with pure water. Did you know that to this day in the Hebrew culture, on the Sabbath, a lot of religious people are self-immersing in their own personal life? Did you know that in Jesus' day, every time the men would go on Passover, or Pentecost, or Tabernacles, to Israel. There was these mikveh pools all over the place, and they would self-immerse to cleanse themselves spiritually because they didn't want any contamination. And so there's something about, it's not about salvation here. I'm not dealing with salvation. We are saved by faith in Christ alone. I'm talking about being deeply consecrated unto him. There's a difference. And let me explain that before I close out. So just like the tabernacle, we can be an outer court people. I mean, we're born again. The outer court, everybody say the outer court. The outer court is where the blood and the water is. And that's just basically natural sunlight. That's everybody that professes faith in Christ. It's the outer court. But as you begin to go deeper in God, less people can go. Only the priests, not even the Levites, only the priesthood could go into the holy place. They went every morning, every evening to burn the incense and worship. But less people go in there and it's a smaller space, but yet to go into the holy place, you're leaving the outer court, symbolically speaks of the baptism in the Holy Ghost. You begin to move from natural sunlight where people only see things in the natural that you move now past that first veil and you're seeing things by the menorah. You're seeing things by revelation knowledge. You're in a place where the bread of presence, the, the bread and the fruit of the vine is that you're now in fellowship with the Lord and it's like the communion table and the incense is there of worship and prayer and spirit and in truth and, and the bells and pomegranates, tongues and the power of God and now you basically moved into the Pentecostal type of life, spirit-filled power. But less. how many knows when you leave the outer court and you go in the holy place, there's not everybody's gonna go with you Once you start going deeper in God, and there may be some things that you could get away with in the outer court that will get you killed in the holy place, then it doesn't even stop there. Once you go past that second veil, which was called the parochet that's the veil that separated the holy of holies. Once you go past that, now you were going before the Ark of the Covenant and that's God's throne. That's the very glory of God. And that's a smaller space and fewer people go in there. And In the old covenant, only the high priest could go once a year. So I'm saying that the deeper you go in God, the deeper you go in the glory, the fewer people are going to go with you, the smaller the space becomes, and the less that you're going to get away with. God is going to start expecting things of us. If we're going to go deep in the glory, he's going to expect us to be a deeply sanctified people unto him defiled dirty stones are not in the holy of holies you understand a priesthood that's soiled with the world and and carnality and all this pollution to have filthy garments on they do not make their way into the holy of holies you can be saved in the outer court you're born again you're on your way to heaven but if you want to go deep in god and have Deep fellowship and go into the deep places of the glory. There's going to be things that you can no longer participate in. There's company that you'll quit keeping, and the Holy Spirit will see to it. There's things in the way of entertainment that you will no longer find pleasure in. God will begin to sanctify your life unto Him. How many knows what I'm talking about? How many knows that since you've been coming to River of Life and you've gone deeper in the Lord? that there's things that even as a Christian that you no longer do talk about or you're around anymore. There's even company that you don't keep you used to. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Be honest. That's, once you start going deeper in the glory, and see what I'm talking about, the outer court is just salvation. The holy place is kind of like Pentecost, but the holy of holies is a revival crowd. It's a glory people. Those that know the deep place of God's glory. And that's what I'm talking about tonight. And we have here that our bodies washed with pure water. There's something to it. There's something about being deeply consecrated. Moses, when he set up the tabernacle, he went in in Exodus 40 and he anointed the Holy of Holies and backed all the way out, anointed everything with oil. And then the glory of God filled the house. He anointed it. So there's something about us As we take communion and come up under the blood, as we are washed with pure water, and as we are anointed, there's something about being deeply consecrated to take us deeper in the Holy of Holies than we've ever been, but we have to sustain that and not allow things back in our lives again. Like the Bible says, what a dog returning to its vomit or a pig being washed and going right back to roll around in the nasty mud again, like that. We don't go back to that stuff. So let me give a couple more things, and then we're going to pray for people. First John 5:7. these three witnesses in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Spirit. These three are one, and there are three witnesses on the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. Isn't that interesting? Because that's in the New Testament. The Spirit, the water, the blood. There is a sanctifying work of the Holy Ghost. There is a washing of water, and there is the blood applied. And it says these three are in agreement. And then this closes out with Romans chapter 12, 1, and now we're in verse 2. Do not now, it's saying, do not be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we understand now what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? What does it mean to be a priesthood? to be the living, breathing temple of the Holy Ghost, that that we're living stones coming together. I mean, what does it mean to understand now from a biblical perspective what pleases God, what doesn't please Him? What are offerings, what are spiritual offerings that are pleasing to Him? See, we are transformed when we know the Word and our minds are renewed with the Word. We are different than the world. We're radically different. Our minds are transformed. And then once we are transformed, it says in Romans 12 to the last part of this verse that you may prove now the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now you're going to know the will of God because you know what pleases him. Your life is lining up with the word. Your bodies are sanctified unto God, washed with pure water, the blood of Jesus There's a deep cleansing of your body. Your minds are washed with the water of the word and sanctified and renewed. Your inner spirit man is undefiled and anointed by the Holy Spirit. And the last thing I would say is the power of fasting. Has anybody ever thought about that Adam ate something that was forbidden? Fasting is when we don't eat something that is permitted. It's the opposite. There's a power in fasting. If we humble our bodies, everybody hear me, if we humble our bodies in fasting and humble our souls in prayer, let me say that again, if we humble our bodies with fasting and humble our souls with prayer, that's how tremendous answered prayers take place. Miracles come forth. And what does the Bible say? In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, May the God of peace sanctify you completely. I pray to God that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord. In River of Life, I know that you know this, but God is coming, Jesus is coming for a bride without spot or blemish. How many want to be ready when he comes? He's not coming for a dirty, filthy bride that's defiled. He's just not. He's coming for a bride without spot or blemish. He's coming for wise virgins that are filled with extra oil. There's a remnant out there, a remnant bride that will hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. They'll hear the word of God. They'll hear this and they'll feel within themselves, I need to deeply consecrate my life unto God. I am not content with just being an outer court Christian that's just simply born again and on my way to heaven. I want to know God's power. I want to know the glory in my life. I want the glory presence in my home. I want to have a powerful prayer life where I sense the nearness of God, but that's going to be hindered if we're defiled. How many understand that? if our homes are polluted with all kinds of spiritual garbage spiritually speaking How many have ever seen night vision goggles that all of a sudden you start seeing things you didn't? If somehow God could put spirit seeing goggles on us and we could look in our homes, I wonder how defiled it looks from a spiritual perspective in some places. But if we will cleanse our homes and we'll ask the Lord to come, his glory can dwell in our homes, but we're gonna have to keep them in a way that is pleasing to him. And we ourselves can have deep, intimate fellowship. We can have the glory in our lives, the nearness of God, but the nearness of God is not gonna be experienced by a people that are filthy spiritually. It's just not gonna happen. How many wanna go deeper in God? And tonight as I preach this, I preach this with with a heavy heart a little bit because I see Christendom today there's still some wonderful people that are, that are holy, but they, there are many, many places and many people that have gotten ever increasingly worldly. That's dangerous because the Lord is not coming for a dirty, stained, defiled bride that is worldly. He's coming for a remnant bride without spot or blemish, a holy people. I feel the Lord here tonight. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray, and then I want us, my wife and I are going to anoint people with oil and pray for you, and I'm believing as we anoint you with oil and we pray for you, there's going to be a fresh anointing, like a fresh baptism in the Holy Ghost and fire, and God's going to do a deep work in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you need to be healed or delivered from something, we're going to believe for breakthrough right now in Jesus' name, okay? So if you could just kind of go to, um, you could probably shut down recording